Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rawls. And I'm Jeff Essery. Thanks for tuning in. And just a quick reminder to shoot any and all Broncos-related questions that you may have to JoeRow underscore NFL or at Jeffrey Essery or at Cover 2 Broncos on Twitter. As always, if you have a negative comment about the show, send it to Joe Rawls. If you have a positive one, send it to myself. And that'll work out just fine. What do we got today, Joe? So I am really jazzed for today's show. We are joined by none other than Derek Klassen, who I will admit is someone I trust more than anybody on this whole NFL Twitter when it comes to quarterback evals. You can follow him on Twitter at QB Class, and today we hope to pick his brain on Drew Locke's tape and potential going forward. If for some reason you don't already keep up with Derek's work, he does film evaluations for footballoutsiders.com as well as work on their almanac. And unless I'm mistaken, you're all also a platinum league player now, right, Derek? So first of all, that is a very grand opening for me. Uh, I definitely appreciate that. And actually, I am jazzed to say I'm at the promised land of Diamond 4-0. Oh, <laughs> nice. Very nice. And also, I just saw today on Twitter, congratulations, um, Derek was added in a. It was the, I think the Athletic did a list of top tw- top fifty Twitter accounts to follow for the NFL, and 
Derek was on that list. So we'll put that in the um, chat for the folks as well to, to see, but congratulations on that honor as well. Yeah. Thank you. I woke up, I woke up at like 6 AM and I just saw like a spam of Twitter follows and I didn't like, I thought maybe something had gone wrong and then I, I somebody had linked me to that later. So it was, it was much better than I thought it might've been. No, I'm uh, I'm glad you got it. You definitely deserve it. You're, I, I learn more about quarterback play watching your threads and reading your stuff than just about anybody. And the work you put into it definitely shows. So thank you for coming on. I, I'm really excited. So thanks for having me. I hope to, uh, you know, too many people don't hate what I have to say about Drew Locke. <laughs> yeah. So that, well, was I mean, the, I was just, yeah. that was the impetus for wanting to have um, Derek on as Joe and I saw one of his threads from Drew Locke and you dug into him. What was it? Was it a couple months ago now? Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Probably like end of March or something. Yeah, so I know we shared that around Broncos country a lot anyway when that came out. And so we would, you know, excited to further deep dive into that. Uh, before that, though, I know Joe kind of gave the background of, you know, the work you do currently. But give us just a quick snippet of kind of a little bit about your background and um, how you got to where you're at today. Um. So my, I think. I think sophomore year of high school, which was like 2013, maybe 2014, uh, I was playing soccer at the time, but then I decided to quit. And I was like, well, I should probably still be doing something kind of productive with my time. And so I had already really liked football growing up and I got pretty good grades in English class. So I figured, well, I'll just start writing about it just for fun to like keep myself busy. So I'm not playing video games 10 hours a day. And so I just kind of started doing that. It started with draft stuff and then I guess just the more I watched, I really kind of became, I fell in love with quarterbacks and just the way that offensive structure in general works. Um, and it just kind of developed from there. And, you know, you started off working basically for free, just wherever I could get my name out. And it kind of just went up from there. I was working with Optimum Scouting for a little bit. Um, I've worked with Bleacher Report, obviously now Football Outsiders. So um, been quite a long journey from, you know, basically starting with just quitting soccer in high school. Very cool. So not to dive in right away, but I just, I can't wait to hear kind of what you're thinking about Locke. Um, right before you got on, you told us that you actually really enjoyed it more than you expected to coming in. So could you kind of, what did you expect going in, I guess, is kind of a good starting spot. So a lot of Drew Locke's tape at Missouri was very Chicago Cutler-esque. He had a lot of moments where it just didn't seem like he knew what he was doing. And you saw some of the positive moments, obviously, but it seemed like a lot of his game was kind of all over the place and he was way too aggressive a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, there were games where it was like, oh, well, Missouri was down 20 points. So, of course, he had to be aggressive. But a lot of those games was also his fault that they were down 20 points because he would give up, you know, two interceptions early or something like that. So I was expecting a lot of over-aggression. Um, he was really inaccurate in the one to 10 yard area in college. So I was really expecting some issues there, um, particularly with regards to the way that his footwork was setting up those throws. So I thought he was going to be really terrible there. Um, and I just didn't expect to see that much development, especially because he came in, I mean, what was it like week 11, week 12, and he only was going to get five games. So I didn't really expect to see too much development over that short time span. Um, but he actually gave us a lot over that five games. So I think that in particular was the, was the part that impressed me most and probably the thing I didn't expect to see. Yeah, I think I agree. Cause I mean, back, back when this time last year, I remember talking to you about 
lock because everyone kind of expected Elway to draft him 10th overall. And I was, I was pretty worried about it. Cause I remember watching that South Carolina tape and just being like, I wouldn't draft that guy at 10th overall. Um, and luckily, I mean, Denver didn't have to, um, but I also, even watching the preseason, I was kind of surprised where he went from the preseason to kind of where he was by the end. So, yeah. Give us, uh, what did you think of Locke before he went to Denver? Like just coming out as a prospect, did you think the second round was a good fit for him when Denver drafted him there? Or what were your thoughts during the draft process? I thought the second round was perfect. It's just kind of like, Joe, I was scared that he was going to go 10th overall, which was a little bit rich for me. I think in general, I actually probably liked Locke more than most people. Um, I had him over Jones. I thought he was significantly better than Jones, but I guess that's neither here nor there. But um, I mean, I thought I thought where they got him was perfect, especially because, like you said, I thought they were going to take him at 10th overall. So to be able to take the players that they did and then still end up with him was, uh, I thought, insane value. And so... Um, I thought it was great value at the time. I didn't expect him to end up starting this year, but I'm I'm actually glad that he did. And he probably needed to get some some live ammo out there. And one one thing, because I remember going, I actually went back and reread your uh, your pre-draft eval of him. And one of the things you speak really highly of with Locke is his arm talent. So I guess for our listeners, can you kind of explain what you mean when you say that? And also kind of uh, like, I know back in the preseason, there was some concern from you that like the size of the ball might be kind of like altering that, messing with his arm strength a little bit. Can you kind of like share kind of your thoughts on that a little bit? Yeah, so I'll just start with explaining arm talent. Like for mm-hmm. there's a few different ways guys can have talented arms, I guess, um, or a few different criteria you have to hit. One is just like how far can you throw it? And obviously he checks that box. I think anybody who's seen him throw a football, he could spin it like 80 yards if he wanted to. And so... I think that's the easiest one to see. The other one is just velocity. And you'll see some of the windows he hit um, both in college over the middle and even as the year went on uh, during his rookie year. Like some of the windows he hit over the middle, especially to guys like Sutton, were just like absurd. Um, And just to have that, you know, in the NFL, when the windows are so small, you can't give up that time to allow defenders to catch up. And Locke has such good velocity that that never really happens. Um, which I think is impressive. And I think the part that really completes arm talent for Drew Locke is that it's so easy for him. Like no matter the platform, um, whether he's, you know, moving out of the pocket, whether he has to like just suddenly snap the ball out because he's taking pressure, um, whether he's getting hit and his like entire upper body is all weird. Like it doesn't matter. He always finds a way to get the ball out from a consistent release point and it comes out very fast. And I think that helps him control the ball exceptionally well. And it makes a lot of the throws that he likes to throw, especially down the field, a lot easier. Um, the other thing, the pre, the the next thing was with the preseason arm talent. I think it had to be something with the ball because we know, you know, before the draft, he had really, really small hands. Um, he measured in with small hands and that, you know, people have thresholds for how much, you know, I think you have to get to like nine and a quarter, maybe nine and an eighth. Um, and basically everyone under that has issues. And I think he was at or under that. So Um, I think that was a concern with people, but usually the concern with that is that you aren't going to be able to grip the ball to get strength on it. But I think with Locke, he's figured that out. I think maybe just in the preseason, it was the college ball and the NFL ball are a little bit different. So between that and having to transition some of his footwork, because I think he was he was doing a lot of different things and kind of thinking about his feet a lot more, especially in the preseason. I think those two things together kind of made it harder for him to show his natural arm talent, probably because he was. In college, I think it was just he wasn't really thinking about what he was doing when he was throwing. He just has natural talent. 
And then the preseason, he was, you know, having to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah, and I think Vic Fangio even said as much that coming out as he was basically like a baseball pitcher, and now he has to learn how to be an NFL quarterback. So that makes a lot of sense. And, and that, I think, leads to a question that I love to set kind of a baseline to of what do you look for? And I know the list is it could potentially be exhaustive, but give us a quick maybe um, Twitter version of what do you look for outside? We've talked about arm talent, but when you say what is needed to be an NFL quarterback, what are kind of the top, whether it's attributes or things that you look for in a guy as they're coming in that need to be present for them to be that NFL caliber quarterback? Right. So I think you're trying to hit at least a baseline on a number of things um, outside of obviously arm talent. I think another one is accuracy, particularly in the 10 to 20 yard area, like that intermediate where you're throwing digs, um, crossers, seams, stuff like that. I think you have to at least be good in that area. And I think in college, Drew Locke very much was. I already mentioned his one to 10 yard accuracy stuff, but I think a lot of those throws are timing throws. And with better footwork, you can fix a lot of that. And that was kind of what I thought would maybe happen down the line with Drew Locke. It, it, in the NFL, it kind of seemed it's happened a lot faster than I thought it would. But he was so good in the 10 to 20 area that I thought he was his accuracy would end up fine. Um, and so that was one thing I liked about him. I think another one is you have to at least check the box of being functional under pressure. Like there's a lot of guys who are either completely numb to it, like Daniel Jones, which is good and bad sometimes because it can be good and that you just get the throw off anyway and you get it to where you want it to get. But there's other times where you take strip sacks that you probably don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other problem guys can have in the pocket is obviously they get scared and they, they don't know what to do and they panic and they turn into Derek Carr. And I don't think Drew Locke had either of the, those issues. I didn't think that he was, you know, Russell Wilson or, or anything like that, but I thought he at least did a baseline job of not completely cracking under pressure. Um, and at least showing that he could maybe function in the NFL in that way. And so I think those two things in particular are what I like to look for. And then just the baseline for processing the field. And I already mentioned Locke had some issues with um, over-aggression, especially in his first couple of years at, at Missouri. I think he fixed some of that as a senior, which was a little bit encouraging for me, and I think kind of why I bought in, um, especially to his mental progress. And so I think I like, like to at least see a baseline level of processing even if Locke was a little bit inconsistent, I think he at least, you know, had hit that baseline for me. So I think outside of arm talent, Locke wasn't a special prospect in a lot of ways for me, but he at least kind of hit all the thresholds that I was really looking for. And when you're evaluating, because we're, we'll jump into kind of your thread as you dug into Locke and evaluated him. But one other question on that is, and one of the things that Joe and I have talked a lot about is uh, on this show is process over results. And I know that that's a massive thing, particularly for quarterbacks as well. And really across the board at any player in the NFL, but particularly for quarterback is the results may not be there, or maybe the results are there because of coverages they're getting or something like that, or defense hasn't figured them out but if their process is bad that's going to show up eventually and so you want to see those steps from a process so are those the things that you look at like you know the arm talent the processing the field footwork those are the things you know things that you mentioned are those the things that you go in and look at the quarterbacks from a process standpoint as you're evaluating them absolutely because like i mean like you mentioned if you if you don't have a decent process, it's going to catch up to you eventually. It might not even be within the same year. It might be you got lucky for an entire season and then the next season it blows up. Um, 
but I think process is huge. Yeah. I think especially for rookie quarterbacks, the thing I like to look at is I like to see more of like the high level processing in flashes. Cause obviously you're not going to get, you know, a Tom Brady where he's making every single correct read on full field reads for, you know, an entire game. That's obviously not going to happen, but if a guy can at least show a few times of games, a few times a game that he is comfortable going from one to two to three on like a five-step drop back, which a lot of these college guys aren't really doing that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if a guy can show that and he can do it comfortably and, and maybe show it on a number of different concepts, which I think Locke did, that is the stuff that really impresses me. Um, and I think Locke and Haskins um, had did that this year as rookies. Um, Kyler Murray definitely did. Minshew and Jones were the ones that I didn't see quite as much of that from. Um, but yeah, with Locke, I think he, he showed a lot of those consistent or of those high peaks and he had eased some of the concerns I had with him being over aggressive, um, from college. I mean, he, he still has his moments, but it's not, he's not Jameis Winston, which I think is a huge win. That was definitely a fear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The Jay, the Jay Cutler, Jameis Winston thing was kind of, I mean, it's still, you know, it's five games, but that's definitely there's part of that that there is a concern that 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 could be what happens but uh i definitely saw enough over the last couple games to kind of have some hope that that's not going to be the the case so yeah and i will say i i don't think it was like he was forcing stuff and just getting lucky that they didn't turn into interceptions i think he legitimately was not putting the ball in harm's way as much as one most rookies probably would and two as much as i thought he would same definitely same uh but yeah, so going going into your thread a little bit, um, going back to like the Twitter thread that you had made back a like a little bit right before the draft, I think, because I think this is when I first reached out to you. Um, one of the first things you said was the Broncos coaching staff called this first game like they didn't <laughs> like they didn't trust Drew Locke to even read a coloring book. Uh, and while I, I I didn't disagree, I just hadn't thought of it like that. So I guess uh, could you kind of elaborate on that for for our listeners? Um. So that first game, I think especially sticks in a lot of people's minds too, because you obviously remember whatever a rookie's first start was. But like in that game, they just, everything they did was simplified. It was either screens or it would be like, they would just run four hitches or like double slants. And it was a lot of just like basic spread college stuff, um, which like was not that bad in and of itself, like in one game, especially for his first start. But I was kind of worried that that was going to keep being the thing, um, especially because it wasn't like, you know, Drew Locke's uh, defining trade in college was that he was a brain genius. So I was kind of worried that that was just going to be a trend. Um, and so I was very thankful to obviously in all the other games, see that they were asking him to do, you know, go through some like one to two to three reads and get to the backside. But like, they really just didn't ask him to do any of that. Like in, in the first game, everything was just, like I said, it was screens, really simple, quick game stuff. And maybe like some deep play action shots where he doesn't even have to think he kind of just has to throw. Um, and even still in that game, a lot of his best plays were like, he happened to get outside of the pocket or he did something wrong and then ended up fixing it because he had arm talent. So I um, was very glad that that game was not indicative of everything else we saw. Uh, is that like a big reason why you weren't as impressed with the Houston game? Cause the next, the next one that I kind of picked up to talk to you about is that you said, um, still need to get through the fourth quarter, but I'm honestly more, a lot more impressed with Locke's process and poise in this Kansas city game than I was with this Houston game. Cause going by just the stats, that Kansas city game is about as ugly as it gets. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the Houston one is about as good as it gets. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think the Houston one was a lot of the Houston game was a perfect encapsulation of how talented Drew Locke was, but I don't think it was a good encapsulation of how good a quarterback he is because mm-hmm. I do think they asked him to do more than in that first game. Like they did open up a little bit more of the full field read stuff where he was having to make, you know, get to his second and third read, but it wasn't as much of it and he wasn't doing it as effectively. It was just, it seemed like when something went right in that game, it went for a touchdown and that just, that doesn't happen at that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, that Texans defense just also wasn't very good. Um, so I wasn't, I mean, it was still a good game. It just, you know, like I said, it wasn't that impressive. The Kansas city game, like it was the complete opposite where it seemed like he was doing so many things right in terms of his process. He was getting to a lot of his reads on time. Um, he did put the ball in harm's way, I think in the third quarter at one point, yep. but like generally he had done a very good job of, um, not falling victim to a lot of Kansas City's pressures and stuff. And I think he had thrown accurately for most of the day. It's just that it seemed like everything was getting dropped or he was getting right to the top of his drop back and then someone would get free and he couldn't do anything. Just it it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong in that game did. And it was snowing like hell too. So like even some of the plays that he had done something right, like it just seemed like something went wrong. So that Kansas City game, yeah, if you just look at the numbers, it's like, oh God, this is going to be a nightmare. But I watched it back and I thought it was not his best game, but it was, I thought it showed a lot of encouraging things that just didn't happen to show up in the stat book. Yeah, I know Joe and I went back and recently watched Garrett Bowles and Elijah Wilkinson for oh no, a good chunk of the season. <laughs> yeah, and that that okay. Kansas City Stop game it. really stuck out as Frank Clark <laughs> and others were really just working over the tackles. So yeah, I know, I know that definitely showed up as well as in terms of affecting some of the stats from a lot from Locke's perspective. And I think, uh, and I mentioned this back cause I, I end up looking at football outsiders, kind of their DVO stats by game leading up to the Houston game. And I even wrote in my kind of preview that if I would be surprised and kind of disappointed, if Locke does not tear up their defense, I didn't expect what he did, but it was one of those things where that defense was awful and they were missing Watt in that game too. So, and I got a lot of blowback from Broncos country as it happened, but it's, that defense was horrible. So, yeah, it was one of those games where you're very glad that he did play well against the bad defense, but also, you know, like we both said, like a lot of things happened to go right for him that probably mm-hmm. don't in a lot of other games that it was like, maybe we should pump the brakes for now. Yeah. Um. So one, one thing that I wanted to mention is one of the last ones that I thought was really interesting. You said, I came away far more impressed with Drew Locke than I thought I would. LAC game was pitiful and his Houston game performance was a bit overrated, but he improved in each of his second, third, and fourth starts. He settled it in mentally and became quite good at reading coverages for a youngster. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. 
offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And we just talked about how the Houston game was overrated, but I guess, and you're, you're talking already about how he's getting better at reading the field, but I guess, how did you see the improvement, I guess, from like the second game to the, the fourth and the fifth game, I guess? So, and I have like no way to, to like actually prove if this was the case, but it just seemed like each game they were opening up the playbook a little bit more and a little bit more to like more of their true dropback stuff. Which to me, like if a rookie is getting through a lot of true true dropback, they're actually trusting him to like play quarterback instead of just be a screen and you know deep shot machine, um, which is what he was in the in the in the LAC game. So um, I thought it was just really impressive, like how quickly they seemed to open up the playbook after that first game, um, and it just seemed like with each game too, he was getting his timing was getting a little bit crisper. He was trusting himself a little bit more to fit in throws when he was on time. Because I think in the first couple of games, he would maybe get to something on time and not completely trust that he had it. And then he would pull away and maybe check down or something. Um, but it, it he kind of stopped doing that as the games went on. And he got a lot more confident, especially throwing over the middle of the field, um, really trusting that he could get to the backside or really trusting that he could throw past linebacker windows and that type of stuff, like just understanding that intrinsically as a really young player understanding that you can throw past the window that's not really even there yet I think is super impressive and he showed a handful of moments of that especially over the last three games so I think just seeing everything open up for him and him getting better as the playbook was opening up I thought was just um, really impressive given how little he actually had to play or how little he got to play so kind of kind of knowing that and kind of going into what the Broncos did this offseason. Do you think that was kind of the right approach? Um, adding, adding, K, uh, you know, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy. Uh, they went out. They did not bring in a real veteran backup. They brought in Jeff Driscoll, who is not going to challenge Drew Lock. All right, you would hope he doesn't challenge Drew Lock. Um, like, do you think that was kind of the right approach? I think for the most part, yeah, because even for as much as Drew Locke's game toned down a little bit from what he was, especially as a junior in college, I still think he's very much a player that you want to be throwing past 10 yards as much as possible. Um, and having Sutton already is great for that. And then having Judy is just like, I mean, you have two guys who are going to be perfect for this. I think Hamler is a little bit more of, I think they kind of just fill in, you know, he, he kind of fills in the gaps and he can be a deep, uh, he can be a deep guy and he can be a really consistent screen guy, but I think Judy is the big one. Just giving him two guys that he can trust on the outside is going to be huge for a guy who I think is very willing to throw one-on-one for receivers. And I think that's kind of an – it's either – I don't know whether to say it's an underrated or misunderstood thing about receivers, but, like, there will be times, like, so with um, Andy Dalton and the Bengals, for example, like, Andy Dalton would get a lot of flack for, like, oh, well, he just throws it up to A.J. Green. Well, it's like, yeah, it's A.J. Green. Like, you should <laughs> be doing that. Um, and I think Locke – kind of understands that. And when he when he knows he has a player that good, he's very willing to take advantage of it. And so I think stacking a lot of uh, skill players around him, um, especially the ones they got, is perfect. I was a little I, I was a little bit surprised that they went away from um, their offensive coordinator and changed things up, but I, I, I think was, it'll be fine. I was going to ask you about that next. Um, kind of what, what did you think about that? Because both Jeff and I were very ardent, Rich Scangarello defenders, because I thought it was a pretty good fit for Drew Locke's talent at that point. 
I think I understand why they made the move. Um, and we, we actually spent a lot of time studying Pat Shermer's offense, but how do you feel, I guess, kind of how you feel about how that was a fit before. And then kind of, do you think Pat Shermer's also kind of a, how does that work for the talent Denver has as far as you have studied it? So I thought Scangarillo's offense would like, I thought I, you know, kind of like you guys, I thought Locke was a good fit for it. I thought he had played about as well in it as he could have, um, you know, given that he was a rookie and given, you know, just what the roster was at the time. So I thought it was a good fit going in and I thought it was a good fit even just after watching the five games that he played. So I was a little bit surprised they moved away from it. I think Shermer's offense is going to be a little bit more ISO football, which I think is fine, um, especially with all the talent that they have. It's just um, might be a little bit rough for the few, for the first few weeks, just kind of transitioning from the offense that Scangarello ran where it's a little bit more um, zone and kind of everything is, supposed to work off of each other whereas you know like i said Shermer's offense is a little bit more iso but when you have some of the skill talent that denver's gonna have now that's i think that's fine and like i mentioned you know Locke is a guy who's going to trust his guys enough to win those one on ones that you know i think even though it's a completely different fit i think it still should be you know pretty in line with what drew lock is good at while we're talking off season i have a i had a question on I mean, when we've talked a lot in Broncos country is this is kind of the off season of Drew Locke, right? Because of the draft that they had and really low key, they've turned over their entire offensive line, except for Garrett Bowles in the last two years. And last year they brought in Dalton Reisner and Juwan James. And then this year they bring in Lloyd Cushenberry in the draft and Graham Glasgow, all of which project to be the starters across the board all the way up to left tackle. And so they've kind of changed out the offensive system and the coaching staff. They've changed out the, the, the offensive line and some of the skill talent as well. When you look at what you saw from Locke and kind of those maybe pick those big three areas, offensive line, coaching staff system, and skill talent. Which one of those three do you think is going to have the biggest impact on him moving forward into this next season? Or what like, What would you have changed at going, coming out of those five games of, okay, if we really wanted to commit and build around Locke, what are the things that we would change and address? Which one of those things do you think has the, would have the biggest impact this upcoming year? I think it would have to be skill talent, and I, th- I think they did a good job of, of addressing that correctly. Um, I mean, obviously, the offensive line needed fixing. I think any quarterback behind that offensive line was going to have issues, but I-, I think Locke's game is such that he's decent enough at playing on time, and he's decent enough at playing against pressure that you can kind of get away with not having a perfect offensive line. Not that you don't want one. You obviously want to have as good a line as you can get, but I think it was – probably better for them to attack um, skill players the way that they did Um, because Locke is just, you know, like we mentioned before, like just the way that he plays the game, both in terms of his play style and just in terms of his arm talent, being able to fit anything anywhere. um, I think getting the skill talent they did is, is the way to most quickly find out if Locke is actually as good as you need him to be. Hmm. That's good. One of my big concerns, and this and this did improve a little bit down the stretch, but it does it does still show up in the Oakland game and the Detroit game, is his footwork. And we had a listener actually ask, uh, are you and should should we still be concerned with this footwork? I know he's been probably working on it, but it still just seemed all out of whack, probably due to all the bad habits. Um, how do you think that impacts all of his timing? It's still not that's what's so weird about Drew Locke's rookie footwork is that it was better than I thought it was going to be because a lot of what he did in college was just like 
awful. There was really no rhythm to it, like, whatsoever. Yeah. It was just, he was all throwing upper body, which, like, given how talented he was, it, it worked out enough. It's just that, you know, projecting that to the NFL was tricky. And I think once he got to the NFL, he at least showed, like, some baseline of being able to get things together. It's just there's so many moments where you can see, like, if he maybe feels that he's getting pressured or he feels that he has to hurry up his process a little bit, he kind of gets out of whack again, um, which I think is honestly, given that he already showed progress, I think is probably something that can be fixed with reps and just like getting that comfort of, okay, if this is happening, I know I should be comfortable, you know, moving my feet this way and getting through this um, progression correctly. And so I think given that he showed decent enough progress with his footwork, it should be, it should at least be functional over these next few years. I don't think he's ever going to get to the spot where like Dak Prescott has literally every single toe mm-hmm. movement, like down to its science. I don't think he's ever going to be that, but I think he can at least get to the point where it's not hindering his game. Like in, in just this like way that is so clear to even like anybody just watching on Sunday. When you make a comparison uh, and, and I don't want to like, I don't want to compare the two, but people do in terms of, play style just from uh, obviously you look at what Patrick Mahomes does in Kansas city and he's running around throwing from off platform. And it seems like everybody kind of, you know, wants that for their quarterback of, well, you know, Mahomes can do it. He can do those sidearm angles <laughs> and throw from off platform and all of that. But how much of you like maybe compare where somebody like Patrick Mahomes is at from with his footwork and how he can get away with some of the things that he does and the, I guess the growth that Locke would need to be to get to that. Maybe it's not just Mahomes, but a guy like a, even a Tony Romo or something back in the day when who, they're making off-platform stuff and doing the moving and out of the pocket, but they're, they're doing it with a better footwork process than Locke currently is. Yeah, so the, the problem with Locke's footwork a lot of the time, and this is actually just true of, of most people who have footwork issues, is that the end result of whatever it is that your, you know, particular footwork issue is, it can be different between, you know, different quarterbacks, but the problem always at the end is that you end up locking your hips so that you can't get proper rotation as you're coming around. And that kind of happens with lock because he's never like, he'll either get his front foot way too tight to his body. So he can't rotate or he'll swing it out way too far wide. Um, Swinging it way too far wide is like a problem that Mitch Trubisky has a lot. It's a problem that Josh Allen has a lot and he can, Locke can kind of fall into that issue too. And the problem is that like when your hip rotation gets cut off too early, the ball is like the rest of your torso is coming forward before the ball is ready to come forward. And so obviously you can't control it as much. And then you just end up, you know, misfiring by five feet and it's an incomplete pass. But like the cheat code that guys like Tony Romo and Aaron Rodgers and uh, Patrick Mahomes have all figured out is one, playing off your feet as much as you can where like as soon as you throw you're kind of hopping off the ground almost and like freeing your hips entirely to do whatever it is they want to do um or just understanding how to move your front foot in a way that you're never locking your hips um and i think patrick mahomes is like the ultimate ultimate example of this because even in college like if you just look at where his feet are it makes no sense the throws that he will be making but somehow he's always able to unlock his hips and i think that that's just not something lock is all the way there yet um, I think he's better than a guy like Josh Allen. So I, I guess there's some hope in that, but um, he's, he's probably in the happy middle ground of it's not a complete issue and there's still some hope, but like he's 
probably not ever going to be quite as free and loose as guys like Romo and Mahomes. And let's break it down really quickly. That when you say unlock hip, so for those that you know, we, have, we have listeners from all parts of the spectrum in terms of you know deep fans or folks, and so we want to make sure we're trying to dive in and explain things as much as possible. Is that when I know we've all kind of seen those videos of Dak Prescott doing the little hip rotation warm up right uh, before is it something like that is it that motion for fans like as, as you're sitting on your couch on sunday what are you looking for for the, for the fans to see if Locke is rotating his hips or unlocking them is that what you're talking about i mean more or less yeah and like a, lo- a lot of the times that usually what you can tell is happening when a guy's hips are too locked is like so he'll start to come around and you'll see his front knee like lock up and almost like he can't move it anymore and if he can't move it at all anymore that's when you know his hip is kind of too locked and that his torso is going to come all the way around before the ball can come out um i remember like this is a weird throwback but like davis webb had a huge issue with doing this on like literally every throw and so if if anybody wants to go back and watch davis davis webb at cal like he's a pretty good example of a guy who's constantly locking his hip um in a really bad way um, and so that, that'll give you a pretty good, you know, indicator of, you know, what you can look for on Sundays. One thing, cause we're mentioning, we mentioned Rogers, we mentioned Romo, we mentioned Mahomes of the people that you've seen that have kind of like this going on, how many of them really improved once they got to the NFL at doing it? Like Mahomes, you were mentioned the way you kind of gave the example of Mahomes, it sounded like Mahomes was doing that basically back in college as well. So he was pretty free back then. And Rodgers, if I remember correctly, he completed a lot of passes in a row. Like he, he was pretty accurate at Cal. So is this something that fans should realistically expect Locke to improve at? I think it's possible, but not okay. something that you should be expecting. I do think like Dak is Dak's footwork is weird because it's all very calculated, but it's also such that he can kind of end up in the Mahomes spot where like his feet do look weird. Um if you just take like a, a still shot of like the very end of the play or the very end of when he's throwing the ball. Um, but I do think Dak actually got better as the years went on of like understanding how to unlock his hips. And obviously that video of him doing it on Monday night football, whatever is like a meme, but like I, I whatever he was doing has helped because he's actually gotten better at it. So if you want an example of a guy who, who actually has been able to work at it and, and, you know, do whatever he needed to do to get better out of it, Dak is a pretty good example. Um, but I don't think that there's that many of them. I mean, Mahomes is like, he's obviously a cheat code in every way, but like, he's a good example of a guy who like kind of just intrinsically understands how to get his hip open because there's no real process for him doing it. He just, there's just a understanding of him knowing how to keep himself free. And I, th- I mean, honestly, a lot of that probably just comes from him playing baseball. Um, and I think the same is true of like Kyler Murray. Um, I don't remember if Drew Locke has played baseball or not, but maybe he should play shortstop. <laughs> He played basketball a little bit. Uh, I mean, that's close enough. <laughs> that, that helps a little bit at least. So kind of going off that then, uh, what would you say the most like kind of sober idea of what you would say his ceiling is? Like, in, and I mean like ballpark, I guess. Like, because th- there's fans that are already kind of saying he's going to be an MVP. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just letting you know. I'm, I'm floating it out there. But then there's still people that basically – I know there's some analytics people who basically say he's Josh Allen. So the range on him still is pretty wide. Um, I think he's – I was about, sorry to cut you off, but I think oh, he's no. a lot better than Josh Allen. I, like he's significantly better than Josh Allen was. Because Josh Allen 
I mean, I guess he's Josh Allen now is better than he was his rookie year, obviously, but like his rookie year was a nightmare in terms of mm-hmm. footwork, accuracy, showing any kind of advanced processing or thinking. Like Drew Lock at least showed a lot of baseline stuff that you can build on. So I definitely don't think that he's Drew Lock. Um and I think a lot of his numbers, like Locke's numbers, are just skewed because he didn't play that many games. And like one of them was just that really weird Kansas City game. So um I also don't think that Locke is Mahomes, and I think that's completely unreasonable to think yep. that he's ever going to get there. I, I think, honestly, the best, um, at least to me, comparison for him was like kind of the Jim Bob Cooter era of Matt Stafford, where he wasn't quite the MVP like caliber player he was even this year or super early on in his career, but he was fairly good at taking care of the ball. You still had enough of those deep balls and intermediate throws that he was like unlocking the offense enough. Um, And I think that he was a guy that even if imperfect, you trusted to carry the offense to at least a decent level. Um, And then you would get those highlight plays every now and then, but was never really like a truly special player. I think that's kind of the range for him, which is probably like the 14th ish best quarterback in the NFL, which is enough to get you deep into the playoffs. And then you just pray to God, you get a couple of decent dice rolls to get into the, to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, And honestly, I mean, I think for Denver fans with the way that the quarterback position is shaken out since Peyton Manning, that's probably, that's a massive improvement from where Denver has been. And I think there's been this myth that ever since Manning that, Oh, Denver can just get by with, average quarterback play but they haven't had average quarterback play they've had bottom bottom you know three (laughs) quarterback play and so I don't think even saying 14th or a guy like Matt Stafford I think that's still pretty much a compliment for what Denver is would probably be hoping for and you look at those Lions teams with Matt Stafford as well and Denver has a lot more talent around Locke and I think it goes to the what John Elway is looking to do at least for you know building Vic Fangio in that defense and then also building weapons around Locke. So even if Locke's ceiling maybe even does land somewhere around there, you at least have the rest of the team around him potentially to you have an overall good product. Absolutely. And I think to have got him as a second round pick, like even if he's just an average NFL quarterback, like you're pretty happy with that, especially, you know, given all the other assets that that kind of frees up for you during at least his rookie contract. And so I guess going off of that, then kind of probably my last big question is how long would you kind of wait to before you kind of die back in the QB market? Like, let's say he plays this year, kind of like your most real, most reasonable, realistic kind of expectation for him. And kind of how long would you kind of deal with if he doesn't improve from that? I guess if that makes sense. So I think in the second year, like I think a guy who showed as much promise as he have has and with as much as it seems like they're already investing in him like I think unless his second year is a complete just absolute nightmare disaster he should probably get a year three like no matter what with him as the guy um like I think the general expectation should probably be like if he is a top 20 ish guy in in year two um and it's not like the reason the offense is terrible like you probably say like okay if we fix maybe one more thing about the offense and he gets another year in this offense and he maybe improves like, you know, this minor thing, then we get him into the average to above average category in year three. And you hope that it works out there. That I think is kind of the line of thinking. I mean, that's, I mean, (laughs) 
that's kind of the thinking that, that the Bills are using with Josh Allen right now. And again, I think Locke is better than Josh Allen, but like Josh Allen kind of at least hit that mm-hmm. area of like 18 to 22 range of NFL quarterback, which was enough for them to be like, okay, well, if we try one more thing, then we'll see. Um, and again, I think especially with Drew Locke being a second round pick where there's just not that much money um, investment in it, I think like, again, like I said, unless he just absolutely tanks this year, he should they should like reasonably expect him to be the guy in year three. And then after year three is kind of where you really make your decision. That's fine. And I think that that fits well with, if you look at the trajectory of the division, you, you mentioned the bills, they're really kind of, it feels like this year's their big year with the Patriots potentially taking a downturn. So they're kind of poised to maybe make a run for it and be the number one team in that division. And Denver, uh, they've got a long way to go to go over Kansas city, but Kansas city's got Patrick Mahomes' contract coming up pretty soon. And so if you're Denver looking to really exploit that second year or second round contract value, they've got a ton of cap space coming up in 2021 as well. And so I do like that idea of having almost a two-year runway with Locke to feel it out, but then you're potentially, if, if he's on a good road this year, you're in a good spot really to, to make a big run in 2021. And I will say, I think they're going about this the right way. Like, If you have a guy who you think even might possibly be a franchise quarterback, like you have to just go all in. And if it doesn't work out, well, then you didn't have a franchise quarterback anyway. So, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. And so I think what the Broncos are doing by, like, very quickly realizing, like, okay, this might have a chance. Let's just go all in on him and see what we can do um, and give him the best chance that we have to really know for sure if he's the guy. Whereas, like, the Jets have no idea if Sam Darnold is good or not. Nobody has any idea if Sam Darnold is good or not because the situation is just so awful and he is so young that there's no way to tell and then so they're going to get to year three or four and not have any idea. And he might take a second contract with a different team and be a pro bowler. Um, but the Denver Broncos, I think, are have so much in place that they're going to know. They're going to have a pretty good answer um, whether or not Drew Locke is good by year three, I think. And I love that take, one, because it paints Denver in a good light. But that's um, – <laughs> dude, like, I mean, there was, there was a lot of talk in the national media this offseason of, like, people questioning, oh, Denver's going all – and they you know, they kept using that term all in on Drew Locke. And there was, you know, random people would throw out, oh, maybe they should go after Cam Newton or maybe they should go after, you know, ex-veteran over here. And to me it never made sense because, to your point, if you're wanting to figure out if this guy has it, you do want to go – and I put all in in air quotes because it's not like they're trading – future first round picks or anything to pick up that talent for him. They're just building the team in a way that would surround him with as much talent as possible. So I think it's a great point. Well, and, and the other thing I really like about it, just to kind of, if Drew Locke is not the guy, let's say in two years, they're going to have Jerry Judy having spent two years learning how to be an NFL wide receiver. Corlin Sutton, they'll probably extend him at some point, unless something you know completely falls off the rails. They'll have Noah Fant. They'll have like the supporting cast in place. So if they end up bombing out because of Drew Locke, they'll be able to find another quarterback and give him the – it won't be a Darnold situation for the next guy if Locke fails. And maybe they'll have a left tackle by then. <laughs> Hopefully. That's every NFL team's dream, right, to have a left tackle. But, um, no, that's a good point because, yeah, if, if Drew Locke doesn't end up what they thought he, they uh, what they thought he would be, yeah, you can either – they end up so bad in 2021 or whatever that they get another quarterback or – um, 
they trade up for one, or maybe they sign a veteran and he gets to step into a, a ready-made offense. So I think that's a great point that like, even if Locke's not good, you probably have enough pieces anyway that you can find out if somebody else is good enough. Okay. Final question as we wrap this up. And once again, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Really appreciate you coming on. I'm personally terrible at projections. Um, I don't want to speak for Joe, but we don't do a ton of it on this show. So we'll give you a shot at it here. Uh, give, give us your projection for Denver this upcoming season, whether it's record or how you think Drew Locke will play. If you look at your crystal ball a little bit. 2020, where is Denver sitting when the season wraps up? You're, you're not writing the almanac for this, right? You're not like giving no. any trade secretary for this chapter. No, no, no. I, I do not have the AFC West. Um, I didn't think so. I just want to make sure. Um. I don't know about record because I probably want to peek at their schedule for that. But I mean, I think I'm not having a hot take here by saying they're not going to be Kansas City. They probably won't even be within three wins of Kansas City. That obviously says more about the Chiefs than it does the Broncos. I think Broncos actually probably have a pretty decent shot of making second in the division. And especially with the expanded playoff format, might be a wild card team because I expect the defense to be pretty good again. And if Locke is honestly even just like an average quarterback, with all those weapons around him and with as well as the defense probably should be, um, especially in year two with Fangio. Like, I I think this is at least a 500 team. Um, and maybe if they get a couple of decent bounces, they end up like a, a 9-10 win team and, and stumble into the wild card. I don't know how much they're going to do after that, given, again, they'll probably run into Kansas City in the playoffs, yeah. um, or they would have to at some point, and that's not going to go well for them. But... Um, so I, a Super Bowl is definitely way, way too aspirational right now. But I think if they made the playoffs, it would be like a, a pretty reasonable outcome. Yeah, we uh, just last week we had how do how do you beat Kansas City? And I think me and Jeff both, <laughs> came, and Jeff both came to the conclusion that this year you probably don't. So Yeah, <laughs> so long as uh, they have Mahomes on a cheap contract and can – put everything around him. I think there's really no beating them. Yeah. That was the most depressing episode of cover two Broncos ever. <laughs> we just dug into the film on Kansas city. That, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. So it's, it's been yeah. fun. This is thanks for great. having me. And anytime I can talk young quarterbacks, you know, I'm, I'm very happy about it, especially if it's the one I like. So, well, lucky for us, um, you liked Drew Locke, so thanks for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and insight on that. Uh, once again, you can find him at QB Class on Twitter and um, also find his work at Football Outsiders uh, as well. So, Derek, thanks again for coming on, and uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in and giving your questions, and we'll see you all next week.